Have you ever thought that you finally reached the place you always dreamt of, and yet something still feels like it's missing? Has a tiny voice in the back of your mind ever kept you up at night, whispering, there's got to be more than this? If you have lingering questions or feelings like these, I'm excited to introduce you to this week's podcast sponsor. Kim Knievel supports people to find more purpose, meaning, and joy in their lives through a blend of communications, events, and spiritual offerings. She uses tools like the Akashic Records, which she calls the story of your soul, to help people connect to their intuition and ultimately own the story they came here to live. I got a reading from Kim earlier this year, and I can personally attest that the information was so potent. Learn more on her website, kimkinebel.com, or just click the link in the show notes. Welcome to Off the Grid, a podcast for small business owners who want to leave social media without losing all their clients. I'm Amelia Ruby, writer, speaker, and founder of Softer Sounds Podcast Studio. On this show, I share stories, strategies, and experiments for growing your business with radical generosity and energetic sovereignty. Download your free Leaving Social Media Toolkit at softersounds.studio slash buy IG and join us as we do it all off the grid. Hi, friends. Amelia here. Welcome to Off the Grid, your favorite podcast about leaving social media without losing all your clients. I just want to start today's episode by thanking you for being here. This little podcast that could has seen a lot of growth this spring. Shout out to Mar Grace and Nicole Antoinette and so many other amazing people who have found and shared the show. I really, really appreciate it. We just crossed 15,000 downloads for the show, and it's because of each and every one of you. So I want to thank you for being here. And of course, I want to ask you, if you enjoy this show, please send it to a friend or send it to all of your business owner friends or send it to your newsletter list or you know what? Share it on your favorite social media platform. The folks that are still there definitely, probably, most likely need to hear something that I've said on this show (laughs) or that one of my amazing guests had said. It's just been a really exciting period of growth for Off the Grid and for me and for all of us. And I am so, so, so grateful. Now, on to today's episode. So on today's episode, I am inviting back one of my return guests, my friend and collaborator, Mary Grace Allardyce of Homebody Podcast and Third House Things and some other amazing, juicy, lovely business endeavors. In today's conversation, we are going to talk about what it means to be a creator-led business and how we do and don't bring our creative practices to our day-to-day work. We also talk about the power of saying no, how important constraints are for our work, and we dabble in a little conversation about content, both the ways we approach content in our businesses and recapping some of those harms that I talked about in the 10 Things I Hate About Content Marketing episode. We recorded this conversation because Grace and I co-teach a course called Living Systems, and our spring cohort is opening for registration May 1st, which is next week if you're listening to this when it comes out. We hope that you enjoy the conversation, sign up for the email list to learn more about Living Systems, and that we get to see you in the AIR cohort, which starts in just a few weeks. Thanks again for being here. 
Thanks for sharing the podcast with all of your business owner, artist, podcaster, writer, amazing, beautiful, wonderful friends. And I think that's all I got to say. So let's go ahead and dive on in to this week's episode of Off the Grid with Mary Grace Allardyce. Hi, Grace. How are you today? Hello, I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like whenever we hang out, we just like smile a lot. And I feel myself <laughs> getting into that room. I'm just like, hey. We're a smiley crew. I think for we sure. get it from our adorable dogs. We just inherited it from them. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, today's chat, I will just start off by saying is in honor of our upcoming cohort of living systems. So I'm really excited for that to start in May. I'm really excited to be doing that with you. And I'm especially excited to be having this conversation about creativity, constraints, and content, all things we're going to uncover in our air cohort this spring. But before we dive into that, let's just start with like a little peek behind the scenes and what's going on in our businesses lately. So why don't we start by sharing just like a little bit of what's in our business ecosystem? Like what are the sorts of things you're doing lately? Mm. I feel like something that we both connect on is that we like find ourselves <laughs> working on a lot of different yes. things. <laughs> so my business ecosystem. So I am married to someone who is a general contractor and I help run that business. So I would say I am in the there's yeah. a place, there's a world in which I'm also help build houses, <laughs> not with hammers and nails, but a lot of the sort of project management side of things. Um, mm-hmm. And there's sort of like the homebody ecosystem with the podcast, more spirit-based offerings such as like retreats and courses and custom sessions. And then an emerging part of my business ecosystem, which has been forming over the past year or so is something that I've been playfully calling third house things, which is mostly it's systems consulting, um, essentially helping people with their workflows and operations. And a lot of that often comes alongside um, custom building people's notion workspaces with and for them. So that's sort of like the things that are kind of bubbling up a lot. This is sort of in addition to being someone who has a life and a, a creative life that I like to keep out of my business, though it leaks in frequently. And yeah, I would say that's sort of all of the business ecosystem at this point. How about you? So I love living systems and our systems work together where our ecosystems overlap, intertwine. You know, alongside that, I run a podcast studio called Softer Sounds. So I work with generally two dozen little more clients at any given time, helping them start or produce podcasts. And then I also co-founded a business with my friend Taylor Elise Morrison. So we run the Lifestyle Business League together. And then I also run Off the Grid. So that is when it's in season, a weekly podcast and corresponding mini course. And then it'll be a live workshop series later this summer. So I think those are my current buckets. Yeah, it's like softer sounds off the grid, lifestyle business league, living systems, you know, just a a minor amount of things I have going on. on. Yeah, not a big deal. (laughs) So within your ecosystem, what's going on in your businesses lately? What sorts of mm, struggles and successes are you encountering? I feel like something that's been arising a lot from like our conversation as friends and on on Voxer together, which is sort of just an ongoing joy in my <laughs> life, is our Voxer thread. Is of course intersecting with a lot of my life lessons right now. Was just a lot of Saturn medicine in my life the past like three plus years, and now 
with Saturn and Pisces, it feels like it's like I'm learning to how to just interact with the no in a very yes way. <laughs> like, mm. how can I say yes to the no and get excited about it and really become the wall instead of just running into it all of the time? Mm. And I think a lot of that is about really leaning into our constraints and our limits and even just getting excited about it. So there's a lot of ways that I feel like I've just been telling people no a lot lately. I think as a really practical example of that, I'll just, you know, like, no, actually, this is not how our intake process works. I can't get you this last minute thing for free. Like, I can't bump you to the front of the line when all these other people have willingly paid and are patiently waiting. And I think on a personal level, too, it's also that leaning more into like custom things and making special things. I think a lot of times and sometimes in the more like spirit-based part of my work or spirit-focused content of the work, there can be this way a lot of times with sessions where I just was starting to feel a little bit like a vending machine, which isn't necessarily the client's fault. It's my fault that I've set up something in such a way to where it sort of feels like that was the exchange. So I feel like I'm focusing less on, I'm focusing more on how can I create something that I enjoy that feels like it's resonating with like how my process works and it's honoring that. Whereas I think before I was really focusing more on how it might, me guessing what might work best for them. um, What price do I think they want? And now I feel like I'm leaning more into this is the price that I need in order to feel good about doing this. This is the setup that I need in order to feel good about doing this. Um, This is the kind of experience I want to offer. And just focusing more on like the clarity and the honesty around those things um, Mm -hmm. so that I can feel really good and generous in the containers that I'm in. And that's, it's something that I'm really enjoying. I never, um, yeah, I'm really enjoying the constraints. I'm enjoying the limits. I'm enjoying the being like, actually, it just makes the, the potential wishy-washiness at times of being like, is that something I could do? Oh, but I guess I could, but, oh, but, but that's not what I do. I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just really, it makes a lot of conversations a lot easier. And it's, it's feeling really good, feeling really adult and robust. How about you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to say I love that phrase you used saying yes to the no. Many years ago, I read Shonda Rhimes' book, The Year of Yes. Mm. And Probably my favorite thing she says in that book or the thing that sticks with me the longest is she makes very clear that the year of yes is not saying yes to everything because every time you say yes to one thing, you are saying no to other things. Mm -hmm. And so the year of yes is about refocusing on what you're affirming in your life such that you let all of the other bullshit fall away. And I feel like that's really what I'm hearing when you talk about this medicine of the no. It's like you've become really clear in what you're saying yes to for yourself And then as a result, you just have to say no to other people. Mm -hmm. And I feel that way in my business as well. It's like, if I want to take three weeks off this summer, which I do, and I'm doing, (laughs) then I got to say no to a bunch of stuff. Like, it's just not going to happen. I just, no, I'm not going to do that project. Or I feel you, especially on the urgency piece, something I'm always saying at Softer Sounds is there's no emergencies in podcasting. Like, just because you feel like this needs to come out next week does not mean I'm going to bend my schedule and make that happen. So I love these lessons. I love the sense of saying yes to the no. I think business is about being in the dance of centering yourself and your own needs and centering your clients' needs. But how we do that, when we do that, how we use no's, walls, boundaries <laughs> really shapes like how much we enjoy our work. So I love all those reflections. Mm. I think for me, what's going on in my business lately has been a lot of 
release, I would say. March was a month of so much expansion for me, brought in a lot of new clients, brought in a lot of attention. I got a lot of good press or mentions and brought a lot of new people into my ecosystem. I joked with you multiple times. I felt like all of March, I was just like, I was Hodor from Game of Thrones. I was just desperately trying so hard to hold open the portal of like, hold it open. I could take more. (laughs) I could receive. Like I was just in the space where I was was trying to receive. I was like, I got this. I can receive this. I've done all of my energetic work to receive this much. And then April has now been a month of contraction. Like after all of that effortful expansion, I'm like, okay, <laughs> now like who are the new clients who are really sticking around? Who are the people where that attention is going to turn into something else or that attention was just like a quick fix and they're going away. And it's it's been an interesting month of embracing that constriction, letting it happen, settling back into what's my quote unquote new normal because I am the business is bigger than it was in February. It's just not as big as it was in March for a minute when I was really trying to make that space. So I think that's one of the places I currently am in my business. Yeah. I feel like you're in this really beautiful, like refining process, Mm -hmm. which is also Mm -hmm. something that I feel like we cycle through like expansion, contraction, refining, making, you know, and I think that that's also a place to get really excited about where we get more precise with our work and Because like you said earlier, it is about us feeling good about the work what we do. But also I feel like the more precise we are with what we're doing and who we're doing it with, like the better it gets for everyone. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really fun, or to me, it looks like a really exciting space to be in. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, on that note, it's like related to cultivating a niche, but it's not the same thing. Like my quote unquote niche is not working with a specific person. It's like a specific type of relationship I want to be in with lots of different types of clients. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something I've really been trying to feel into and understand, you know, as I go into the second year of my business. I don't even know anymore. Like (laughs) Like, what year, what decade is it? (laughs) I have no idea. But what I'm trying to say is that um, there's something about how we work together that's starting to feel that feels like what I'm refining even more than like who I work with or Mm -hmm. what the goal is even it's just like can we have a beautiful working relationship that feels reciprocal that feels like we're collaborating building something together like you're getting the support you need and I'm able to be fully resourced and offering that support that's really where I'm like "Mm," like the good stuff is that's where I feel like I'm really getting into also like the change work I want to do through my business Mm -hmm. is like in developing those processes and in changing how I work with other people and how we work together. Yeah. I feel like I've just stepped into a new layer of like, now I really get to go to work in a certain way. Yeah. I like that you're differentiating that between us as like the niche of the customer avatar, for instance, because I feel similarly, like it's more of like the process that I'm interested in. And I think a lot of people can jump into that specific pot with me. And a lot of people do, mm-hmm. which I personally really love. And I get excited by that because being focused on the process can yield all sorts of different kinds of inputs and outputs, um, which I think is also something that keeps people like us who are very creative people who like to sort of be involved in a lot of different kinds of conversations and things It can keep us really interested in what we're doing um, Mm -hmm. in a way that I think is really exciting and fulfilling. 
So Yeah. And it goes back to that sort of like vending machine feeling, right? It's like, I love to systematize a process, but I don't want to systematize it to death. Like, I don't want it to just feel like that I'm running people through my podcast factory and like, we're not doing anything like beautiful and alive together. Like, the system's important, the process having clear steps and ways we work together important. But like, I live for that magic of the co creation Mm -hmm. for all of the human elements that come in and make it weird and make it messy. Yes. And make it messy like that. That's where it gets good. Otherwise, it's just boring. It's dead. I think so too. And I think that kind of touches on something that we both wanted to bring to the conversation too, is just talking about like, there is sort of a nuance of being a creator-led business there. And I think, while I think there's a lot of things that contribute to that nuance, I think that interest in the messy process or that sort of tolerance for being in the sandbox, or I would also say a desire to return back to that frequently is more of a creator approach as opposed to someone who's sort of like, packaging up a market niche and like, you know, buttoning it up, zipping it up type, solidifying it so it never changes and works forever and gets VC funding. Like, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. I guess there's, that's a place in our world, but I think people who are more creatively inclined are going to be, want to return back to something that is more process fulfilling, I think. Yeah. So I think that leads into, as you were saying, like this first thing we wanted to talk about today, which is a sort of conversation we've been having around creator first businesses or creator led businesses. And I want to open by maybe clarifying for myself what I mean when I say that and maybe inviting you to do the same, which is for me, I think creator led businesses at their heart are driven by the owner or founder or leader's creative vision. And, you know, more spiritually, like, energetic life force. (laughs) Like there's a connection there. And I think that it's really exciting and beautiful and also presents some unique challenges. I think another analogy or way to talk about this is I hear people talk about being like artist businesses or, you know, I'm an an artist first and then I'm a business owner or like I'm a a writer and I'm self-employed. But yeah, what does being a, a creator first business mean to you lately? I feel like I don't know if the first part makes sense for me. Um, I think in my life, am I creator first? 100%. Is that always the way that I'm able to show up in everything business related? Like not really. Um, and I think that is potentially like a unique challenge. You know, there's a way that trying to make money solely from one's creative artistic channels into the world has its own unique set of challenges. And I wouldn't say that that's necessarily what I'm doing. I do have that kind of practice in the world, but am I strictly trying to form a business around, which for me, my primary medium being dance, not really, because A, that's not going to happen (laughs) uh, for one. I remember just like with traveling people coming into Atlanta and these are people who are, you know, currently MacArthur genius fellows, right? And they're moving, they're like, oh, I can't pay my rent. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe this isn't actually a working business model, which says less about the artist value and more about the state of our culture, I think. 
Mm-hmm. So I think too, there's a way that in my life, I think I'm creative first, but I don't know if in my business, I'm always like, no, what I want creatively matters the most. I think, but I do think mm-hmm. it is a dance. And I think when someone is a creator and showing up that way and, and trying to show up that way in their business, there are extra considerations that end up being on the table that probably aren't otherwise. Whether it always gets chosen first or not, I think is a different conversation. And that probably depends on the business itself. But I totally agree with all the things that you're saying. Yeah, I think that it's interesting to unpack together because I also would say, I don't think I run a creator first business. I think I'm a business owner first and then all of my ways of being creative come after that. Business is a place where I get to be creative and I really enjoy that. And it's, I think that shines through in my work. But I encounter a lot of artists who are trying to make a living through their art. And in that, we live in this tension of like the purposes of art and the purposes of business. And I think that those realms have very different value systems. And what you're pointing to is like they put different things, quote unquote, first. And like the foundations are different. The goals are different. The the what we're valuing most is different. And the way as we learn to intertwine them create challenges. I think of this Elizabeth Gilbert quote you sent me recently, where in Big Magic, she says, but to yell at your creativity saying, you must earn money for me, is sort of like yelling at a cat. It has no idea what you're talking about. And all you're doing is scaring it away because you're making really loud noises and your face looks weird when you do that. Like (laughs) She's setting up this sort of tension, like creativity and like money and capitalism don't speak the same language. And when we bring them both together in business, like we're setting up certain tensions for ourselves that I think we have to, I guess, choose different ways to address or... Mm -hmm. I think there can be a tension when we show up in those ways that you're saying, just because of the way that our economy works and the way that creativity as an essentially mystical practice works. Mm. In that there can be a lie in the culture and that I think that we can un knowingly digest as creative people where it's like if you just hone your voice enough and like get clear on your artwork in just the right way just the right time and stay true and be consistent about it then it's going to magically work as a business you'll magically make money around it and it will just work out and I think that that is not true (laughs) yeah and so for me, it's more like, what do I need from life as opposed to what do I need from my business? My business cannot give me everything that I need. And it's not really fair for me to put all of my creative needs and expectations to be met through that. Just like it's not fair to do that to your partner, right? Like not all of my relational needs cannot be met through my spouse. doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. just means that's not possible. And that's great. Can you tell us about last year when you kind of hit a point where you were like, the relationship between my creativity and my business is not working. Like, how'd you get there? And how'd you come through that? I think that for me, last summer, I was really hitting a wall in a lot of ways, because I keep returning in certain like in cycles, I'm noticing with like reconciling my levels of output with the level of inspiration and actual true creativity that I'm able to do. And I think a unique friction that we find with creator-led businesses is that we also want things, even if they're not like our pure, unfiltered, I don't need to digest the world from you, this is my pure art magic self, we still want it to be related to that voice in some way. Mm -hmm. And when we start to have zero resonance between those things and what we're making for our business, we feel an extra friction in a way that someone who, quote, just does marketing is not going to feel. Mm -hmm. 
and be like, oh, this is the most popular thing in the world and I love it. And it's getting so many hits. Like someone who just does marketing is going to be thrilled with that. Someone who's a creator is going to be like, "Mm, that doesn't feel true to me though. And that's a friction that doesn't exist in other businesses. And I was just really feeling that. I was feeling really burned out by my podcast. Just like, I think it had been how many years at that point where I had been putting out an episode every week nonstop, which is insane. Like now that I think about it, I'm like, that's ridiculous. I think you did three years without any break. Yeah, that's insane now that I think about it. Um, and now I don't do that. And now I'm about to take another three month long break for the summer because it felt so good to do last year. And it's just, again, what you preach a lot through your business is the value of breaks and how it helps us to recalibrate and get back to what's true for us. So I think taking a break was a big part of how I moved through that, letting some patterns and pressures fall off about how product, how consistent or how productive I feel like I need to be. And I think it's a constant phase of what you described earlier of like also refining just towards the end of the year. I was refining like how I'm showing up for my clients, right? Like, do I want to be someone who people book one-off sessions with like whenever they want? And then like, that doesn't quite feel rewarding for me. Um, So how do I like re-change how I interface with my customers and the kind of experience that people can come to me for? What feels really good? What gives me the amount of rest that I need? And I will say that building up this consulting part of my business and also like the construction parts of our ecosystem, I think thinking about our needs as an ecosystem as well is really helpful because... I can get certain things from those that necessarily I don't now have to put so much pressure on the more creative part of myself. Because for instance, for me in my pure art life where it's like I'm making dance, I'm out in the world in that phase of my life, I actually don't want the pressure of it making money. The pressure for me is I want to be able to do whatever the fuck I want in a way that feels perfectly correct and right for whatever I'm making. And if it were my business, I actually wouldn't be able to do that. And so I'm not willing to put it in that kind of container. So I think thinking of our needs and our feedbacks as an ecosystem, as opposed to like a filter or a funnel can Mm -hmm. be really helpful. That was beautiful. I really like this metaphor or picture you're painting of like, we can't put pressure on our art to meet all of our needs. We can't put pressure on our business to meet all of our needs. We can't put pressure on our partner to meet all of our needs. And so we need to have ways of looking at different parts of our lives um, and understanding what we offer them and what they offer us. And, you know, this requires, I think, a really ongoing and nuanced conversation with yourself. It requires really tuning in to what's feeling good, what's not feeling good, being able to sit with all of the layers of nuance in our human experience. Hi friends, Amelia here, interrupting myself to tell you a little bit about this course, Living Systems, which you've heard Grace and I discuss in this episode. Living Systems is a series of cohort-based courses to set up your work and life like a garden, seasonally aligned, resilient as fuck, and bursting with life. It's for creatives, freelancers, and small business owners who want simple, sexy, and sensitive systems that support your most meaningful contributions, not busy work. Grace and I designed the course to teach cyclical rhythm design for life and work, and we source the course material from our own research, creative work lives, and personal discoveries into how to live in alignment with our natural world and our embodied limits, while also honoring our interstellar capacities to vision, dream, and bring worlds to life. This spring, spring 2023, we'll be teaching the AIR cohort all about task management and the power of the small. This cohort is happening May 18th through June 8th. And if you're listening when this episode comes out, we will be opening registration next week. 
For the Air Cohort, we are getting into the small things that make big things happen, tasks and task management. You may know them as all these scattered post-it notes, pieces of paper, backs of envelopes, and phone notes that tend to collect around your life, but maybe not coalesce into focus as much as you would like. So in this cohort, we'll explore how to break down your big, dreamy, gorgeous projects into bite-sized tasks that bring your visions closer to manifestation. By the end of this course, you'll be able to create and maintain a current master task list and manage those tasks in a way that is effective for you. We'll be talking about a variety of task management frameworks and helping you design something that is suited to your life, your limits, and your most expansive self. We will also be talking all about content. So by the end of this cohort, you will be able to identify your core marketing channels, manage, organize, and streamline your content creations, and experience much more integration between your tasks, your content, and your big picture plans and projects for your work and life. Air Cohort includes four 75-minute live classes with me and Grace. They happen on Thursday afternoons and four 60-minute co-working and accountability sessions that will be scheduled based on everyone's availability. We also offer gorgeous Notion templates. This is definitely a class for Notion lovers out there, but you do not have to use Notion to make the most of what we'll share and teach. And you'll also get access to our collaborative and nurturing online community for the duration of our live time together. If you want to feel clearer, more supported, and more integrated in your day-to-day work, this is a course for you. Head to the show notes for the link to learn more and make sure that you sign up to join our Living Systems email list so that you know as soon as registration opens. Even if this cohort isn't for you, we're offering two more later in the year. So get on the list so you can learn more about those as they're happening. I hope that you're enjoying this conversation Grace and I are having about creativity, constraints, and content. Let's get back to it. I think something else, just to go back to the very first thing you said, the way the myth of the meritocracy shows up in art practice and in being an artist, that if you just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into yourself and getting clearer and clearer and clearer on what you're making and what you're meant to make, then you will find financial success in the art world. I think it's just a form of the myth of meritocracy, which is that like if you just work hard enough, good enough, then you'll get what you quote unquote deserve slash desire. And I think that that for me, when I set up the sort of tension, it's like in the art world, I think I hear people, I hear beautiful, wonderful artists I admire, like telling folks, like, I just get so clear on what I'm meant to create. I go into my process, I do what I think, and then I offer it to you. And sometimes lots of people want it. And and then in the business world, I go into like tech news and they're like, we did 800 client interviews and we figured out exactly what their problem was. And we went straight to that and came up with the ultimate solution and sold everybody that and made a million dollars. And I think it's just like, neither one works. Like, it's not all about you. And it's not all about the other people. But like, that's what I love about business. It's this constant dance of like, that relationship between what I need, and what the people I want to work with need. And how do we both get our needs met? And I think that this circles back even to the very opening of our conversation around constraints and saying no. Like sometimes people are going to tell you they need stuff that you're just not going to give them. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's okay. And that doesn't mean they can't still be your client. So let's kind of open up into the next part of this chat around like constraints, saying no, and doing less, even when people are asking for more. How's that been coming up in your your business lately? 
I think something that's how it's coming up in my work and then also just piggybacking on something you just said is getting clear on who's it for, right? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I'm making a product or a service. It's for me and I know it's for me. You know, (laughs) I'm doing it because I want to do it. It's an experiment that I want to do. And I think there's some other people that'll get on board. Maybe not. I don't know, but I'm doing it for me. And everything is like that. It's the same thing when I'm doing, you know, some sort of you know, devotional practice, you know, and I think that can get really convoluted in our age of performance for is like, am I doing this for Instagram or are I doing this not like, am I totally okay if no one sees this? And like, what kind of, I think having that filter of who it's for can be a really helpful one. Um, and maybe potentially only the clear, the only clarity we need. <laughs> but yeah, I think, and it's something that because talking about constraints and like the constraint of who's it for, but even how much time we have, you know, in our first cohort of living systems, like we were really dealing with the earth element a lot, which is all about perceiving your limits honestly and getting okay with them and then working within them so that we can actually like do what we can actually do instead of dreaming about what we could do if we were someone else or if we had no limits at all, (laughs) which is something that I think we can do a lot of when we are very creative people or very visionary people. It's very easy for us to see the possible world, which I think is beautiful and needed, but I think that's not so helpful if we're also not able to respect, get excited about and work within our actual constraints, you know? And I think something that came up and something that I was facilitating right before this call where they were like, well, how do I deal with the fact that I'm never going to be, you know, I have this ambition to be as creative as this person here. And how do I deal with that gap? And to me, that doesn't matter so much. Like we all have limitations. We're all going to die without doing it all. And the sooner we get okay with that, the better our life's going to get, right? The the more clear we're going to get, the more clear our frequency, the more precise our work and like what we're about is going to get because we've reconciled and we're super okay with the fact that like, I don't have all the time in the world like this to get this done or to do this. So what actually am I going to spend my precious life on or my precious energy on? So I think that connection between, we think a lot about like freedom and liberation and all this is having like no constraints. And when I can do whatever I want and my business is working when I'm so free and I can work from Costa Rica and I have no time constraints and no meetings. I don't actually have to work anymore. I just mysteriously make all this money from this like great funnel that like Facebook brought into this thing that I never have to work on or refine and like, but that's like not real, (laughs) right? (laughs) That's not real. And that's like structure and limitations are how we get liberation as humans who are going to die, who have a finite relationship with embodiment and time and body and age. Um, An analogy I'm working with a lot that I've been writing about a lot through creativity and grief and all of that is this idea of a cup, right? We think our culture has conditioned us to think of abundance as just more and like anything that's more is abundance or is freedom. And, but it's actually like, what if abundance is more about fullness, right? So if the cup is always growing, it's never going to be full and we're never going to get that satisfaction and constraints and the limitations of like, the cup is actually this big. This is how much time I have. This is where I live. This is how much money I have getting okay with that is going to enable me to get excited about the fullness in my cup, which is abundance. So I think those are some really tangible ways that I'm really integrating those into my life. And yeah, getting excited about them, honestly, getting excited about the smallness in my life and freeing myself from the expectation that I have to do it all to like, or be visible for it all to have some like super great life. Cause it's like, I'm living for 
Like my life is about me. I'm not dying with accolades, right? Like nobody, that's not like gonna, that's not gonna carry me through and get me excited at the end. But what is, is gonna be my own satisfaction. Yeah, I think so many things coming up in what you just shared, like learning to embrace constraints, I think really is such an earth lesson. And something I shared with everyone in the earth cohort of living systems was how much my work has transformed when I stopped just wishing I was doing something else. <laughs> or like my example is always like when I first started my business, I was like, I'm going to work 12 hour weeks. And like, it doesn't work. Like, <laughs> like maybe sometimes you get a 12 hour week, but like- yeah, but like I work a 30 hour week, which is fine. And once I stopped hating that, once I stopped like shaming and judging myself because I was working more than 20 hours a week, which is an arbitrary number that I picked of how much I quote unquote should be working then it was fine. Now I just work my 30 hour week. Everything is done. I notice when I'm working more than that, I celebrate when I'm working less than that. And I just move on because I've stopped again, that point of like being upset that I'm not getting the ideal thing. And instead just living in my real life is such an earth lesson. And to just get like to know like you're not doing anything wrong when you're working 30 hours a week with an online based business, you're not doing anything wrong when this client says no to you because they wanted it for this much and you can only do it for this much, you know? And I think like, no, doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. The constraint doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It means you're willfully and gleefully living within your limitations from which magic can then arise. Yeah. And then this air lesson that you're bringing up, like the smallness, something we'll be unpacking together in the air cohort of living systems is, you know, the Adrian Marie Brown small is all and Adrian Marie Brown also has teachings on being satisfiable, like having that embodied connection with enoughness, a sense of constraint. I think that enough is such a important constraint and a really challenging one to cultivate in our society to learn to get in touch with what is enough or what feels like enough. This is something I've really been in the dance of speaking back to like the expansion contraction moment I've been in, like recognizing that expansion is a moment of too muchness, but also like, you know, now maybe enough is more than it used to be before, but it's not as much as the most I've ever had. Like how to live in that space is such an air lesson and something I'm really excited to spend, you know, four weeks unpacking. I think an area where this comes up a lot that we will be talking about in the air cohort of living systems is content. There are so, (laughs) I know (laughs) you are one of the people that I shouted out as inspiring my 10 things I hate about content marketing episode um, from our many conversations about how much we hate making content and how we have reworked our businesses or certain areas of our businesses around not needing content. Why is structure and constraint so important for the content world? I think there's a, I have a couple things coming to mind. One, it's that not confusing content that you're making for a certain goal or priority in your business with your art practice, because they're probably not the same thing and getting really okay with that. Woof. Yeah. Some people, that's like a knife to the heart for some folks Sorry. listening. I think <laughs> it's, it needs to be said, but it, it's, a t- I think it's a tough lesson. And I say that as someone who I am pretty indulgent in a lot of the content that I make is either in my podcast or in my emails. And I would say that I'm pretty indulgent in those things. And I have curated an audience that is like 
they're like, I literally save your emails until like the next day where I know I can sit down with a cup of tea. You know, I'm not following the like formula of like, you need a header that does this. And then you put a cute little gif here that points by like, I don't follow any of those rules. I don't keep it to like no scroll emails. I don't do any of that shit. What are the rules that are just made up because people said this is how content marketing works? And what are the things that you actually need to make in order to run your business? Because those are probably different things. And I'm finding for me that they are very different things. They were like, this is how you have to launch something. You have to write this many emails. This is the formula. And this is your three-month mm-hmm. runway. That like, I mean, I did, launched something last month where I was like, what's keeping me from really pulling the trigger on this? It's like, oh, I don't want to write a sales page. I don't want to write a whole novel just to get people to buy a thing. And I didn't. And I sold it. And it's fine. So I think, too, like the constraint to like what are our own constraints, Mm -hmm. which may not necessarily be the constraints of content marketing. And again, where can I sandbox and workshop those things? Mm -hmm. But then also acknowledging if the end goal is to just nurture your audience, you can be more playful with it. If the end goal is I have to make X amount of dollars this month and this email is a vehicle for that how can we meet in the middle? How can I get that bridge to match? And those are different experiments. They're all experiments. Mm -hmm. I think too, there's this, we were talking earlier, another lie is that like, (laughs) well, if you're just, I I think honesty is a way of thinking about that. Like, do I really need to send three emails a week? Why do I think that? Is that actually true? Do I really need to put out a podcast every week, all the time, forever, till I die? Is that actually true? Where did that idea come from? Do all of my clients actually come from social media and I have to post every day? Is that really true? Why do I think that? And I think, you know, we want the constraints that we are operating within. We want to be really conscious of what those are and not just like, well, so-and-so said I have to do this and this is what they do and it works for them. Like that's a more child approach to a constraint where someone's giving us the rules and we're just being obedient to them. Whereas an adult who is like operating within constraints that they are aware of, they're conscious around and they're consciously building, that's a totally different relationship. And I think there's a lot of ways especially with online business that we're told this is how you have to do it. And then we just follow those rules. And then like, well, why isn't it working? I was being a good little girl, you know, following all the rules. And it's more about like getting to be the mature adult. We're like, I tried that. It didn't work for me. I don't like it. I can either pay someone to do it or I can find a different way, which means I'm going to mess up like 12 times and then maybe land on something that works now. And then I may have to change it the next year. They definitely think that like, good little girl mentality goes back to the myth of the meritocracy that I was talking about earlier. It goes back to these desires that I think are ingrained in us that we just want to be told what to do so we can do it and get a gold star. We get so disciplined into that through school. And I think that something I've been coming to as a business owner is that the business owners that I see over time really like stick it out and make it through are the ones who are able to relinquish that desire to be told what to do and instead to relish in the experimentation and the challenge. And it's like, you know, that double edge of freedom of like, in your business, you get to do whatever you want, but you're also radically responsible for all of your choices. Totally. (laughs) And they're going to show up in your bank account. Yes, they are. (laughs) Like there's also going to be this quantifiable metric you can use called money that'll tell you how quote unquote, good or bad, things are going. Money doesn't have to be the only metric, but I think it's the one we most often use in business. And so I think that, again, like we have to let go of that desire. Like, and I get it. I have that feeling too. I'm like, I just want someone to tell me what to do that'll make this work. Like, 
it comes through and the burnout and the exhaustion when we're tired, when things are just not going well. But if we don't learn to shake that off, like eventually, if you don't find pleasure in going after the challenge, taking on the experiment, iterating over and over, refining, then eventually you just won't like being in business because as soon as you figure one thing out, it shifts, it changes what your clients want changed. And you change, like what you want changes too. I think you're speaking to something really powerful because I think there's also a place for like times where, especially for solopreneurs, like bringing other people's voices into your business, other people's expertise. Like I pay people to do things that I'm not good at. Mm -hmm. And that's great. And that's beautiful and needed. And I think with the money, like we're really wrestling with the material in a way that's really direct when we're responsible for the checks that come into our bank account, right? It's a different level of contending with what is material with contending with survival um, and contending with our own creative abilities like there's a whole other layer that we may be moving with and moving through when we're running a business and Mm -hmm. i wouldn't say that that's for everybody um, and that doesn't make anyone better or worse but i think that's a layer to really acknowledge like you're saying and i think that because of that layer something i'm always saying on this podcast is that like as a result as business owners we can't do everything. We have limited time and energy. And I think that this is where content comes back and where these lessons of air return. Like, because we have limited energy, we want and need to be precise with how we use it in our businesses. And I just think content marketing is often a waste of time for people who have small audiences, which frankly is a lot of folks who listen to this show. I would consider myself until recently someone who had a small audience. Maybe I have a mid-sized audience now. I don't really understand. Is a thousand email subscribers a mid-sized audience? Who knows? <laughs> but I just think that getting back to some of what you were saying before about content specifically and about choosing how to market specifically, like content marketing was a strategy for people with a large audience to, and often works, you have a bunch of people and you want to sell them something that's like a lower cost recurring model. It comes out of a tech model. And so you use content marketing to convert large numbers of people from your big audience into low cost offers. But those of us who are just starting out and have small audiences and want our business to support us, like that's just not a model for us. It Mm -hmm. is just, it's not, but yet we see it in online business so much that we just get sucked in and think it's the way to do things when in fact we're much better served by the things you're mentioning, like the cultivating a really clear sense of who your work is for the direct sales. There's going to be an off the grid episode soon about relationship marketing. Like that all works better when you're working with a smaller audience and your offerings need to be more expensive. Like I also say that too. They just do if you have fewer people to sell them to and you want to support yourself. Totally. Yeah, I think so too. And I think there's a lot, especially in like the early realms of like content marketing, there was a lot of this whole like, well, you just like make a course, then you set it and forget it. And then you like make content that flows people to the ad that's on Facebook that goes to the lead magnet that goes to the like one year's worth of emails that goes into the, this lead. And it's sort of this like set it and forget it, like funnel that has like 18 million octopus branches, like moving around. Like, mm-hmm. and I just think that a, that's way more than most people have the capacity for, unless they have a whole team to do that. B, I have heard a lot of people sharing lately that that is starting to not work for them because, People know how the internet works now. And I think people are really, they want something that's alive. And I think when we're making something, we want it to be alive too. And if everything we make is so like frozen and heavy and like requires 18 tentacles moving around in order to like harness it together, like we're not really able to change that much. And I think especially 
speaking of air, like it's something that changes constantly. So I think giving ourselves permission to like experiment with things that are like lighter lift, more agile, give us more flexibility, changing our mind, being like, oops, that didn't work. Now I'm going to do it this way. And be like, it's not because you spent like, well, I spent 18 hours making this course and then like setting up this whole funnel and now it's not working. It's going to cost me $500 to redo this thing and all these emails that I made. Like, how can you be in service to the moment and Mm -hmm. also maybe in the next moment? And then you can reevaluate what that moment's about. And I think there's something more alive about it. And Mm-hmm. The image that was coming to mind was one of a house. It's like you got to like open up the windows, let the air blow in so that it's just like, oh, it feels like there's some life in here. And yeah, some pollen's going to come in and some bugs and like maybe a bird, but that's that's life and that's good. Like we want to be able to move move it through. Yeah, I think your point about the sort of set it and forget it model fading, <laughs> I definitely think it's it's on the, the downslope of its popularity. Because I think that we are all craving connection. And the set it and forget it model, what it promises us is this sort of like, if you figure it out good enough once, you'll never have to figure it out again. And it's coming back to that same myth of the meritocracy, which I guess I'm going to say a million times this episode, that same like, oh, if I just am a good girl, I'm good enough, I'll be set forever, or this sort of like, if I just get the right answer, then I've got it and I figured it out. Like, but that doesn't, I just don't think that's working as well as it used to. And with both of us as astrologers, you know, that could be like Saturn's out of Aquarius, it's in Pisces, <laughs> like that sort of stuff where, you know, with Saturn, you can just be like, here it is, the foundation is set, it's here forever. Like, I think we're kind of over that moment. Um, and I think that we're in a new place where a lot is in flux and shifting and, as a result, like, I agree with you. I'm seeing a lot of folks who are like, this course that I built and I sold it four times and it did great. Now this fifth time, it's not working. And I think all entrepreneurs face that at some point, like you build a system and you run it multiple times and it like works and it works and it works and it doesn't. And that can be devastating, but it's also, they're just the reality of business and the reality of how things change and evolve. And we have to be willing to change and evolve with our community, with our clients, with our offerings, with ourselves. Yeah, 100%. Agile. Go with the flow. Yeah. And again, that takes us back to creator-led businesses, right? That's one of the gifts of being a creator-led business is there is a flow there, right? (laughs) When you're a creator-led business, you can follow your flow. You have, hopefully, like ways to tap into your creative practice, what comes next for you, what you want to do, what you want to build, what you want to offer to people. And when things aren't working, you can return to that and get, you know, nourished by your own creativity. I'm thinking now of what you said before, like some offerings I make just for me and other offerings are more of a blend of like, here's a really smart way that I can bring something I do into the world and it will support people and I will get fulfilled in certain other ways, right? For myself, I think you know, softer sounds and our podcast editing offerings serve my bank account and they serve my desire for (laughs) to like to be financially resourced and also to hire people and pay other people and support people in a way that frankly, podcasters really need that support. It's so crucial. But off the grid is where I get to be a little more of like a dilettante myself and shiny and like step up to the mic instead of being like in the, you know, producer room of the studio. So I think that as creator-led businesses or as a creator leading a business or as creators working with our practice to make money and also trying to be self-employed in other ways, we have to learn like what are the different aspects that feed us here and 
How do all those interplay? How do we bring other people into the mix if we want to, such that we just feel fulfilled and nourished in our work? Like that's what I want at the end of the day. I want my business to be a place I go to have fun. I want to feel fulfilled energetically, financially, spiritually by the way I spend most of my time, which is working. And then I want to like fuck off and do whatever else I do that's not work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're not doing business wrong if you're not like on 24-7 vacation while the machine runs itself. And I think like as a creator, I am just getting more interested in things that can feel lightweight. Like what's something that I can put out? Because I think people, they also don't want things that are heavy. I think there's a way that in the past we valued things by how much content is involved. It's like you're getting this course with 18 hours of content and that's why it's $5,000. I'm like, cool, it might be super valuable, but like do people have the capacity for 18 hours of content plus homework? Like not really, like I certainly don't. So why are we using content as a metric for value? Like to me, the world doesn't need more content. Yeah. Like AI can make content now. So like does content in and of itself like have value? No, I don't think so. So like what is it that you're making and why are you putting it out in the world and what do people actually need? And I think that kind of takes us into more of like, you know, we're talking about with our air cohort, like content and like tasks and like all these small little bits that are like really a a big part of where we meet our dailiness with our work and getting really clear on like how those can function best, getting clear on what we're doing it and how we're doing it and who we're doing it for. Because otherwise that busyness and that bulk gets conflated with doing a good job. And that's not really true. I just like snaps to that. (laughs) So speaking of our air cohort of living systems for folks who enjoy this conversation. (laughs) Living systems is a lot of Grace and I unpacking conversations like this, but with presentations and a little more organization and a lot more you getting to ask questions and fill in the gaps of how this fits into your own work. So in our air cohort, which starts in May, we'll be unpacking the power of the small which we've talked about today. We'll be talking about different strategies to approach task management so you can figure out how you want to engage with everything you need to do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. We'll have a week on mapping your marketing ecosystem, which I think will be especially fun for off-the-grid folks thinking about what are all of the channels that you're sharing your work with and how can you be more than a content-making machine because we're not content making machines, but we do have to do marketing. So what does that mean? We'll unpack that together. And then we'll wrap up with a week on the flow of your week and talking about how do we fit our tasks and our sharing and all of this together in the rhythm of a week, because the work week is still the way most of us organize our work. (laughs) (laughs) At least that's how I do. So if you want to join us or you're interested in that, if you'd like to learn more about that, there's a link in the show notes to get on the mailing list or or the wait list for Living Systems. And registration will open, if you're listening live, it'll open next week. If you're listening in the future, it opens May 1st, 2023. And it'll be open, I think, for two weeks, and then we'll close and get started. So um, if you're listening in the future, and that's already passed, go ahead and jump on the mailing list waitlist regardless, because we have more cohorts coming up this year, we'll have more information coming out about living systems. If you want to hang out with us, but you're not ready for the course, you can come to Notion Nerd Night, which is our free monthly Notion hang or hang for Notion nerds. Notion is our favorite systems tool for organizing our work and lives and clients and everything else we do. (laughs) I'll put that link in the show notes as well. What else, Grace? What am I missing? Or what do you want to say to the people about joining us in Living Systems? 
Yeah, I think it's going to be really helpful because like I said earlier, it's where a lot of us meet our work. It's where we feel the most frustration with our work a lot of the time is in that dailiness um, and where it can feel sort of hard to assess whether we're pointing north or not. Um, And I think the more we can get clear on what's working well for us, how to manage our tasks, how to get clear about our content makes us a happier with our constraints and um, feeling better about the work that we're doing and also just assessing that like what we're doing is getting us the kind of results and garden that we're, we're trying to grow. The air is blowing through the house, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Windows open. Come open the windows with us this spring. <laughs> Unless you live in my house. I live in a hundred-year-old house where the windows don't open, but that's my own personal problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, listeners, for being here. Thank you, Grace, for joining me in this conversation. Or if you're listening on the Homebody feed for me, joining Grace in this conversation. (laughs) It's been a joy. And just come hang with us in Living Systems. Like, it's just going to be great. And it's going to transform your work. All right. Bye, friends. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Off the Grid. Find links and resources in the show notes, and don't forget to grab your free Leaving Social Media Toolkit at softersounds.studio slash buy IG. That's softersounds.studio slash B-Y-E-I-G. This podcast is a Softer Sounds production. Our music is by Purple Planet, and our logo is by Natelier Studio. If you'd like to make a podcast of your own, we'd love to help. Find more about our services at softersounds.studio. Until next time... We'll see you off the grid.